you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown. Just listen to the music <laughs> of the traffic in the city. Linger on the sidewalks where the neon signs are pretty. How can you lose? Thank you all very much I'm for listening s- to the anxiety cover. The anxiety cover, yes. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming. Girl, you interrupted me. <laughs> God. I'm sorry. Am I fired? Yes, you're fired. <laughs> I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are covering the 1999... Go ahead. Call it a classic. No. <laughs> it's a classic. Girl Interrupted. <sighs> the end of the millennium. Before we get started, guys, don't forget you can go follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N. S-T-R-E-A-M. And you can also write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with the and, not an ampersand. <laughs> and guys, by the way, if you haven't done so yet, please go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or go to the Facebook page and drop us a comment. You can also listen to us on Spotify now. Oh my God. That's right. <laughs> Every time we do a new show, I forget that we're on Spotify now. So this was one of your picks. Yes. For our Women's Month. Yes, absolutely. You want to tell me why? Okay, so this film, I love this film, first of all. Um, It's a very powerful film, because this is based off of a memoir, which was written by uh, Susanna Kaysen in 1993. This film kind of deals with how we, you know, just kind of shepherded women, you know, through the uh, mental health industrial complex in the uh, 1960s. Yeah. Um, also, another thing I have in asterisks in the top of my notes is mental health in the 1960s was a shit show. I mean, women's mental health treatment was not really mental health treatment. <laughs> no, it was more uh, like glorified babysitting. It's more like glorified prison. Yeah, no, you are absolutely right. Like, basically. We did not do mental health patients in general right back in the 60s. The word hysteria yeah. literally comes from the Greek word for uterus. Yeah, no. That What a great piece of trivia to start the show off like, with. Anytime a woman gets passionate about something or flared up, they call it hysteria and lock you away, whether that's mentally or physically. Or maybe if you just liked girls, if you were a woman and you liked girls. Oh, yes. You could also be institutionalized for um, uh, having sex with who you wanted to. You know, obviously, guys, we're not mental health professionals. That's not why you're here. And we do have our own mental health issues. Absolutely. That's going to be most of how we relate to this, even though we can definitely not relate to being in a mental hospital. No, definitely not. Definitely not. We're going to try and find the humor in this, but we're also going to try and be respectful. You know, these mental health issues are important. That being said, this is going to be a very emotional episode. There's several different kinds of abuse manifested in this content, so just wanted to let you know about that. If you need to turn us off, turn us off. We understand. It's, It's kind of rough content to deal with. Yeah, there are lots of, you know, easier episodes. Stuff that, you know, is not quite so taxing. But I I wanted to do this film because of the way it can help one process. Yeah. It's a ver- it's a movie about making choices and helping yourself. Yeah, I think this movie does send a very positive message about how you need to lean into some kind of help yeah. if you're struggling with issues. Exactly. 
1969, the wild ones went to Woodstock. The unlucky ones went to war. There's something happening here. But if you didn't know where you were going... You have the distinction of being the only senior not going on to college. I don't have a plan. I just don't want to end up like my mother. Susanna. They sent you to Claymore. The best place in the world for someone like you is less than a half an hour from here. Welcome to Claymore, Susanna. It's so easy to slip. I guess I'm puzzled as to why it is I have to be in a mental institution. Call me a cab. Okay, you're a cab. <laughs> you chased a bottle of aspirin with a bottle of vodka. I had a headache. <laughs> Go ahead, take one step and I'll jam this in my aorta. Lisa, your aorta is in your chest. Good to know. What are they that has me sleep? Oh, I don't, I don't need them. Are we going to have a problem? Look at me. Is there something about sex which lifts your feelings of despair? Have you ever had sex? <laughs> Highs and lows increasingly severe. Lisa thinks she's hot because she's a sociopath. I'm a sociopath. No, you're gay. Uncertainty about goals and a generally pessimistic attitude are often observed. Oh, that's me. That's everybody. You don't need to be here. Get out! Everything's changing. What do they know about being normal? Get me out of this place! Get yourself out. Let's go. Okay, so who have we got lined up in this one? We've got Winona Ryder. Winona, I love you. When I when I think about my film childhood, Winona Ryder is one of the first things I think of. Beetlejuice. Edward Scissorhands. The Crucible. Heathers. She's in Black Swan for like five minutes. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> five minutes of collective screen time. And we love our girl Joyce Byers from Stranger Things. <laughs> yes! Winona Ryder is playing our protagonist, Susanna Kaysen. We've also got Angelina Jolie. Yes! This performance earned Angelina Jolie the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. So She earned it. And honestly, this is my favorite Angelina Jolie performance. She's terrifying. I know. It, it. She really puts the fear into you. It makes you feel cold on the inside. You are meant to feel as uncomfy as possible, and she really sells it. Who else have we got? Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. Baby Elizabeth Moss. Yes, she was... Is this pre-West Wing Elizabeth Moss? This is, um, this this is, is during West Wing. Oh, okay. Elizabeth. With Moss, uh, because West Wing would have come out in fall of 99. This movie came out in December of 99. We have Clea Duvall as Georgina. Of American Horror Story fame. She's Sarah Paulson's wife. Yes. In Asylum. Thank you. Lana Winters. I forgot all about that. I forget what the character's name is, but it really doesn't matter because she leaves her to rot in that asylum, so I don't really care. We've got Brittany Murphy. Oh, rest in peach, Brittany Murphy. Uptown Girls. She was the voice of Luann on King of the Hill. Uh, we've got Angela Bettis of Broadway fame. She was in the very noted Broadway revival starring Liam Neeson and Laura Linney, The Crucible. Oh my God, Crucible Connection. Hey! Winona Ryder, Angela Bettis. Yeah. They both played the same character. Very nice. Abigail Williams, your favorite problematic hoe. Um... <laughs> We've got Kurtwood Smith, <laughs> the dad from that 70s show. Red foot in your ass, Foreman. We've got Jeffrey Tambor, <sighs> the, the dad from Arrested Development. We got dads, man. Dads galore. <laughs> 
We got Jared Leto, baby Jared Leto. I forgot to even write down Jared Leto. Post Fight Club, Jared Leto. We've got Vanessa Redgrave. Oh my god. Renowned Shakespearean actress, Vanessa Redgrave. Royalty in the house. For real. Whoopi Goldberg. I love Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi. She's my favorite character in this movie. You know what I love her in? She's my favorite. Her character's my favorite character on The View. Yes. (laughs) I love her. You know what I mean? Yes. All right. You ready to dive on into this? Let's get mental. Okay. So we open on this very somber tune, Simon and Garfunkel, very 1967. (laughs) Maybe I was just crazy. Maybe it was the 60s. Or maybe I was just a girl. Interrupted. You're in restraints. Let's draw blood for tox. Hold on, dear. Give her five milligrams of Valium IV. We see Susanna, our protagonist. She's getting held down by some doctors. Yeah. She has, um, as they say, OD'd. Yes. She's also got some wrist injuries. She says that there are no bones in her hand. She chased a bottle of aspirin with a bottle of vodka. This is where I have the note about the fact that we jump in and out of flashback very often. Absolutely. Because I'd forgotten this was a flashback. To hear Susanna tell it, she didn't mean to do this. She'll be adamant throughout the rest of the movie that she did not try to kill herself. But that's what it looks like to the doctors. Like, and there's this there's this one shot while the doctors and nurses are tending to her. She sees this creepy looking dude <laughs> looking at her through the window. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, I don't like that. I don't like that at <laughs> this all. bearded, bespectacled man. And he's like, mm. Oh, now we're in therapy. With Dr. Crumble. Yeah. Kirkwood Smith, show a movie on his forehead. (laughs) Susanna, if you had no bones in your hand, how did you pick up the aspirin? Like, this is the dad from that 70s show. Yeah, I don't know why. It's it's a, it's a weird place for this actor. Playing a doctor of psychiatry. Honestly, where am I? So, Dr. Crumble is a friend of Susanna's father, who was Carl Kaysen, who was the deputy national security advisor to Kennedy. Um, oh, I ke- again, I keep forgetting that these were real people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I was like, where was that context? They lived in Boston. And if you lived in Boston, I guess you were a friend of John F. Kennedy. Um <laughs> He's a friendly guy. So, yeah, yeah, it's whatever. Dr. Crumble is doing a favor for the Casons. You know, he's retired. He doesn't do this anymore. But since it's Carl's daughter, he's going to do something. Susanna is talking about how, you know, time jumps around for her. She has these flashbacks. This is one of them nonlinear movies. Yeah, I love this narrative structure because she has these issues with time moving back and forth. And guess what the narrative does? flashes back and forth. It flashes back and forth, guys. It's great. And it has these really interesting cuts where it'll be like a continuation of the flashback, but then we'll be jerked forward to the present. Absolutely. In the visuals. So I just, I love that energy. And she says to Dr. Crumble, she's like, Explain what? Explain to a doctor that the laws of physics can be suspended. That what goes up may not come down. When you have a mental illness, your perception of the world changes. You also try really hard to explain things away. Yeah, it's hard to explain it to people who can't empathize with you. And you kind of get this feeling that he's not really on her side. She, he's working with the parents. He's trying to establish a reason to send her away. And then we flash to Susanna trying to creep around party guests at her father's birthday party back at her house. Her mother, who is giving me... <laughs> 
very big Carol Chapman vibes. Mom basically lived on nothing but cottage cheese and gin from 91 to 98. <laughs> no one said anything. Annette is scolding Susanna for not being to the party on time. Hi. Hi. So this is what you're wearing. I didn't know it was so early. I've changed. <laughs> hey, everybody. Look who's here. <laughs> Happy birthday, Dad. <laughs> So there's this nosy-ass woman named Barbara Gilchrist at the party, right? She's married to one of Susanna's professors. And, um... I forgot about the Gilchrist. Yeah, the Gilchrists. And Barbara's like, oh, it's Susanna. I want to say hi to Susanna. <laughs> Barbara's like, I'm sending my daughter to Wellesley. Yeah, yeah. I say, let women make up their own minds. You know what I'm saying? Girl power. <laughs> And Susanna's, like, very nervous and anxious, like, yeah, yeah, and it's great. She doesn't even plan to go to college. Exactly. She's like, I can't relate to this conversation. So while she's lost in that thought, we get brought back to Dr. Crumble's session. Asking her if she's stoned. Are you stoned? <laughs> when she snaps out of it, her cigarette is burned all the way down to the filter. And I'm like, that cigarette is done. And the tall tower of ash that's on top of it. I just love that image. And so Dr. Crumble says that Susanna needs a rest. I'll go home, take a nap. No, no. You need to go somewhere where you can get a genuine rest. And you're very lucky. The best place in the world for someone like you is less than a half an hour from here. You don't mean Claymore. Claymore is a, a top-notch place. A lot of people go there. Even writers. Like you. She's like, he's like, a lot of people go there, even writers. And I have in my notes, stop this car right now. <laughs> Don't use that against her. <laughs> Don't make generalizations about artists and use that as a way to manipulate her into doing this. That's not cool. Not only are the parents making her go, but they're not even going to take her. Mom's not even going to get out of the car to hug her goodbye. Yeah. I just. Because it'll be easier this way, says oh. Dr. Crumble. <laughs> Sorry, I'm making Miss Piggy noises over here. They literally have a suitcase packed and waiting for her. Like, they did not tell her this was going to happen as she was coming into this session. So we put the vulnerable young woman in the backseat of a cab by herself, and the doc instructs the driver, no stops. Yeah. Like, this is a great idea. We have Monty Hoover driving the cab. <laughs> That's what his name is. You can see it on the name tag. Monty. Looks very 60s. Very late 60s. <laughs> he looks like he's got some psychedelic evenings. Yeah. <laughs> While we're in the cab, we have another flash. We flash back to somebody knocking at Susanna's door in the middle of the night. It's later that same night of the party from the last flashback, you can hear right? them. Yes, you can hear them singing for He's a Jolly Good Fellow downstairs. She goes and answers the door. Oh, it's her lit professor. Oh, it's Professor Gilchrist. Mr. Gilchrist. Professor Gilchrist is like, I want to see you again, 18-year-old person. No. And she's like, listen. He is her teacher. Yeah, I know. It, it, th that whole situation seems like it's very toxic and very just detrimental for her. Look, it was a one-time thing, okay? Just come to my office tonight. Sweetie, where are you? We're opening the presents. Tell them you're going to all friends, please. Yeah, who do you want me to tell first? My parents, the department chairman, or your wife? Susan, Susan. No. So she slams the door on him, and then we flash back to, what did you do? <laughs> Monty's got questions. <laughs> Monty knows where he's going. He's going to Claymore. He's yeah. going to the psychiatric facility. What did you do? Excuse me. Well, you look normal. I'm sad. <laughs> well, everyone's sad. Monty's like, mm, does, is this really necessary? Yeah. But guys, listen, here's the thing. 
We don't know if it was necessary exactly. or not. The big boilerplate disclaimer for this entire movie is... 1960s mental health care was a shit show. Yeah. We were treating a lot of disorders with blanket treatments like shock therapy, sedatives, not really focusing on the disorders themselves. Yeah. And so... And also keeping patients in the dark. Yeah. About what's going on with them. So not only are people maybe not getting the care that they actually need, but they're not being informed about the care that they're receiving. It's all, It was all bad. So we're pulling up to Claymore. And who have we got out front? We've got Whoopi Goldberg playing Valerie Owens, RN. This is the woman's ward, also known as South Bell. This is where you'll be staying, and this is where I work. All right, this is the second floor. I need you to stay close to me because it's easy to get lost here. I love Valerie. Valerie's too. my favorite character. Like the the look that she gives Susanna when they first pull up, just like the. Mm, you're supposed to be here. <laughs> like, she knew. She knew from the get-go. She knew from the get-go. She looked right into Susanna's eyes. It's like, you're not crazy. Valerie's showing her around, and I have in my notes, this place is absolutely dismal. I know. Look at all that white. Every, oh, that's what I have. Everything's this cream color. So she takes her into the art room. There's this... There's this locked up cage of musical instruments to the left of them. There's the 16-year-old girl trying to play the guitar <laughs> through the bars. Polly, what are you doing in here? I feel very musical today. Can I can I just for Not today, just honey. Mm-mm. Half of Polly's face is very badly burned. She's a 16-year-old being treated for paranoid schizophrenia. I I think that literally they just stuck that on her so they'd have a reason to keep her. That's the point, though. Who really knows? Exactly. Who really knows? But we'll get to that. So we're moving on. We get down to the main common room where everyone hangs out. (laughs) And Angela Bettis, done up as Janet Weber, turns around in nothing but a, you know... Hospital gown. Hospital gown. She's smoking a cigarette. She's got her leg up on the couch and she goes, I want my fucking clothes. Then you'll have to eat something, won't you? Janet's here to be treated for anorexia. Uh, she's not eating. So they've taken her clothes away. It's a bargaining system. Yeah, they're make, they, won't let her wear, they won't let her wear her own clothes until she decides to eat. God. So she shows her the phones, shows her into her room. She introduces her to Georgina. I like Georgina. I like Georgina, too. <laughs> and anyone who watches this movie is going to like Georgina right off the bat. Georgina, this is Susanna, your new roommate. Oh, great. Hi. Hi. Susanna, you're very lucky. Georgina's an excellent roommate. Why, thank you, Valerie. Valerie. Georgina, will you take Susanna down to the dining room in a half hour? Sure. Yes means yes, Georgina. I know. I wrote, damn, Georgina really be reading all these books. <laughs> She's really into fantasy novels. She's really into Oz. Yeah. She loves anything to do with The Wizard of Oz. All throughout the movie, we're going to be smacked in the face with all of this Oz illusion. The concept of the ward being the land of Oz. Mm-hmm. Also, in this ward, you know, you have to take meds regularly. As, you know, you probably would on any psychiatric ward. Here's the thing. I'm pretty sure they're all being sedated. We don't really know for sure, but it's not... Out of the question. Like, they keep handing out these pills, telling them that they're laxatives. 
I'm like, why is everyone being treated with laxatives? I've been on anti-anxiety medications before that can really, I mean, this is totally TMI, but they can really slow things down for you. Is that what it is? Yeah. Because I I bet everybody's on those kinds of meds. Yeah. So that's my very limited opinion on why that might be a real thing. We have a new arrival. A police car is pulling up outside. Yeah. Angelina Jolie as Lisa Rowe is being hauled out of the police car. Tell us a little bit about Lisa. Lisa's a sociopath. She's the ward's only sociopath. Yeah. And she thinks she owns this shit. Exactly. And she thinks she can just leave whenever she wants. She's being led back through the ward and it's clear that she thinks she owns the place. Lisa's throwing off her coat and going, it's good to be home. (laughs) Hey girls. Hey sexy. Good to be home. And so Lisa then notices that Susanna is in Georgina's room because everyone's watching them bring her back in. And Lisa comes unglued, barricades herself in the room with Susanna and Georgina. And she puts Susanna in a corner and she's screaming at her. Why is all your shit on her bed? Huh? Huh? Why? Why? Where's Jamie? What the hell are you doing, Lisa? You've been gone for two weeks. A lot of shit has gone down. Back off. How'd she do it? How'd she do it? How did she do it, Valerie? The fuck off me! Jamie was apparently Lisa's best friend before Lisa ran away. And she, since Lisa has run away, has apparently taken her own life. Because she was sad that Lisa ran away. Yeah, it, it's, it's wow. So really the only reason Susanna can be at Claymore is because a vacancy opened up. Yeah. And it was Jamie. They haul her ass out of the room. She becomes physical with the staff. And they have to sedate her. That night, Susanna asks Georgina to tell her what happened to Polly. Like, while they're laying there trying to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. When she was ten, her mother told her that she had to give away her puppy because he was giving her a rash. And so Polly went and found her father's gas can. And she poured it all over where she was getting the rash. And then she lit a match. What is Georgina being treated for, Ross? Pseudologia Fantastica. She's a pathological liar. So do we trust that that's how Polly became burned? We don't have a choice. It's the only account we get. (laughs) But yeah. So now we're getting a series of flashbacks about Susanna's relationship with Toby. Toby's played by Jared Leto. Oh, Baby Jared Leto. And his horrible fake mustache. He looks cute. Yeah, I know. Like, so does she, by the way. He's like, men in the 70s, man. I just. Winona Dunup as Susanna can have me. I'm oh, sorry. yeah. She's in a bar doing her 1960s thing, smoking a cigarette, bopping to the rock. Toby comes up to her and he's like, You're Susanna, right? I'm Toby. Andrea Jacobs' brother. I was at graduation. You're, um, you're pretty when you sleep. And then that flashback just cuts away. And I'm like, don't end on that. We don't get the rest of that conversation. I need to know how the rest of that conversation went. Be- well, guess what? We go almost virtually right back into flashback. <laughs> so Toby and Susanna are in bed and they're talking about suicide. Sorry, stop laughing. So, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're right. No, yeah, yeah, you're good. And we are talking about, you guessed it, 
suicide. Yeah, just an intellectual conversation about taking one's own life. And she's like, you know, how would you do it? He's desperate to change the subject. Well, that pisses her off. Yeah, she tries to leave. Because she thinks he's trying to say something about her. And he's like, well, I don't want to have a conversation about it. Because guess what's going on, guys? Vietnam! Yeah, the Vietnam War. Look, Susanna, the world is fucked up, okay? All right, it's so fucked up that if if some some draft zombie pulls my birthday out of a barrel, I'm going to die. When's your birthday? December 30th. I'll pray for you. Susanna. I know that I'm normally not this way, but trying to think about it from a man's point of view, in a war that was not going well, lots of young men were not coming back. I couldn't imagine that level of fear. And then sure enough, she's sitting in the TV room one day, and a draft zombie pulls December 30th out of the bin. Oh my god. That guy I know was just drafted. What's his name? Toby. He's dead now. I'm like, Lisa! There's not a good bone in Lisa's body, I'm convinced. I want to feel so many negative emotions about Lisa. Lisa has very controlling relationships with all of the patients. Yeah, she likes to manipulate them. She's running this ward, basically, when it comes to the patients. She's even got some of the staff in the palm of her hand. Like, what's that one nice nurse's name? Margie? Margie. Or mm. something, or Marcy. It's like they're friends. Yeah, She's like, how's the sex <laughs> with your with your fiance? <laughs> yeah. How's the sex with your fiance? And she's like, I don't know if I want to talk to you about that. <laughs> All right. We have to talk about Melvin. Okay. Melvin is one of the therapists that work at the hospital. Played by Jeffrey Tambor. By Jeffrey Tambor. And a very different looking Jeffrey Tambor. A plumper, mustached Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> God. Like he just looks like someone else. You almost don't recognize <laughs> that it's him. What is it? Are you, are you puzzled about something? I guess I am, Melvin. I guess I'm puzzled as to why it is I have to be in a mental institution. You you put yourself here. My parents put me here. No. No, they didn't. Everyone here is fucking crazy. She's an adult. She signed herself in. But she's still convinced that her it was her parents that made her come here. She doesn't think she has any agency. She doesn't think that she is responsible for her actions. Yeah. She's in big denial about that. So Greta, one of the nurses, is handing out meds. She gives meds to Lisa. Lisa's been cheeking her meds because Lisa doesn't want to be sedated for the rest of the night. Susanna sees Lisa cheek her meds. Yeah, and she's like, you better do that. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Because Susanna's getting a laxative. Daisy loves laxatives. But they can't give them to her because she abuses them. Exactly. She is literally running around screaming about how she wants laxatives. Dr. Cornish. Valerie! Valerie, please. If you can't give me any x can I please have some colates, please? No. No more laxatives. I can get her some prune juice. (laughs) Prune juice? This is outrageous. So Susanna goes to try and talk to Daisy. Daisy, She's, she's going to give her the colase. Daisy miraculously lets her into her room upon realizing that she has laxatives. Daisy doesn't have a roommate. No, yeah, because her daddy pays enough money so she doesn't have to have one. And she's sitting in her bedroom. She's got a chicken. She's got a chicken in tinfoil. We saw what was presumably her father handing it to her earlier in the hallway. When he came to visit. She only will eat her father's rotisserie chicken. Daisy's got some serious problems. Like I said, bulimia, OCD, her sexual abuse, she self-harms, 
And Lisa likes to get under her skin and toy with her about those kinds of things. And Lisa peeks her way into the room. Don't take advantage just because she's new. Pony up some value. Get the fuck out of her! I'm calling Valerie! Valerie! Yeah, yeah, why don't you, why don't you call Valerie? Let's call Valerie and ask her for some cola. It's just like Susie Q's got in her fucking hand. Why does it stink in here? Susanna's gonna give Daisy the colace for nothing. Like, just to be nice. Yeah. And Lisa is like, oh, no, no. We're gonna get something for this. She's like, she wants Valium. Yeah, because they give Daisy Valium, but Daisy doesn't take it. And so they're trading. This movie trope where the patients or the inmates are trading meds, using them as currency. I'm sorry, keeping the Valium in the teddy bear? Oh, yeah. Daisy keeping her Valium in the teddy bear? She has to cut the thing's head off to get to the Valium. How? How? How weird is that? (laughs) They trade meds, but that's not enough for Lisa. No, Lisa, don't. No, 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 please. Dios fucking meal. Daisy's been hoarding chicken carcasses under her bed. I guess that's how daddy knows she's eating, huh? Can I get five? (laughs) Valerie makes me throw them away. It's such a hard moment to watch because they're laughing at her and she's obviously so embarrassed. She's got some issues. She's got, yeah. Later that night, they're talking about the fact that Daisy is getting out soon. How could, I mean, she's insane. Yeah, well, that's what Thayer Ratney's all about. That's why fucking Freud's pictures on every shrink's wall. You create a fucking industry. You lie down, you confess your secrets, and you're saved. But what if you don't have a secret? Then you're a lifer like me. So we're back in with Melvin. Only the parents have come, haven't they? Yep. Annette Annette and Carl have come to have a session with Susanna and Dr. Potts. They are being non-helpful and making it about them. And Annette is weeping. Annette is telling Melvin this stupid story about how, like, Susanna fell off of a changing table and broke her whole body and how that was so traumatic on Annette. Mom did it to her, and this is about mom's pain. Exactly. On the back seat, strapped to this board, 4,000 uh, miles. If you like, Mrs. Kaysen, we can discuss this uh, further on the way out, but... Um, Just how long is my daughter going to be here? With all due respect, Mr. Kaysen, psychiatry and economics are, uh, are different. The length of Susanna's stay isn't fixed. Uh, Look, it's almost Christmas. What are we supposed to say to the people back home who care about her? Like, you could tell them the truth, Carl. Yeah, you could tell them the truth, Carl, but it was an embarrassment. That's another part of the stigma. They're embarrassed of her. Parents didn't want to explain to relatives that their kids were having mental health problems. They were ashamed of it. The position of a lot of parents when it comes to their children and mental health. If they are not addressing their own issues or if they don't have those issues, it can be hard to know how to relate to your kid. Which, I mean, that's true and that's valid. It is valid. But it's it's the lack of willingness to understand yeah and support Susanna because that's her problem yeah they're talking about her like she doesn't exist and like she's this giant inconvenience and it angers me Melvin he lets slip that she has borderline personality disorder this makes Annette overcome and she's like what causes it oh boy here we go Susanna's like is it genetic (laughs) Carl goes oh please (laughs) it is Five times more common among those with a borderline parent. I can't, I can't do this. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't do this. Oh, 
And that just shuts Annette right down. They have to leave. To quote my podcasting partner, it's not about you. Yes. It's about your child. Exactly. <laughs> God. You don't, you're not the one that has to do it, Annette. She has no, no one in that room has any idea whether or not Annette has borderline personality disorder. But just the suggestion. I know. Is just like crippling to her. Now, in the late 60s, borderline personality disorder was something that had only really been studied for the past 30 years. It really, That's like short in psychiatry yeah, study, right? Yeah, yeah. and it, it really hadn't been fully explored yet. Before that, if you had BPD, it was often written off as schizophrenia. Oh my God. Like, that's how they diagnosed you. Those are not even remotely the same disorder. Exactly, because they didn't understand it yet. So that's just another way that they were, like, generalizing. Exactly. With the blanket diagnoses for problems that no one wanted to actually understand, especially in the case of women. Yes. They were just written off, given shock treatment, and put in a mental hospital. I have a borderline personality. (sighs) Oh, that's nothing. What else? He didn't want to say. He thought it would affect my recovery. All right, listen. Tongue your meds tonight. After one o'clock checks, Greta always goes out for a smoke. Check the mirrors, and if they're clear, you go down to Hector's closet. It's near the art room, and it will be open. Lisa invites her to sneak out of the ward that night with a bunch of girls after the bed check. We're sneaking into admin! (laughs) Lisa, Polly... Georgina, Janet, Cynthia, and Susanna all break into the admin offices. They go down to the basement where there's just a bowling alley. Yeah. Why is there just a random bowling alley in the bowels of this building? (laughs) Then they break into the head doctor's office. They break into Dr. Wick's office. And they, what do you know, get all of their files out and start reading them. This is almost a necessary evil because just like we just talked about, the doctors aren't being honest with them about their diagnoses. Yeah. And they have a right to know exactly and so they're reading through their files they're reading each other's files janet's like i'll show you mine if you show me yours lisa rose (laughs) highs and lows increasingly severe controlling relationships with patients no appreciable response to meds no remission observed that was before you ran away we are very rare and we are mostly men lisa thinks she's hot shit because she's a sociopath I'm a sociopath. No, you're a dyke. Because literally the only reason Cynthia's in this institution is because she's homosexual. Because it was a mental illness back then. They considered it mental illness. I am flustered to the point of wordlessness. I'm just sprouting gibberish over here. Like, It was a different time. It was. Susanna is reading her own file out loud, and she's really confused about some of the things that are being used against her. Borderline personality disorder. An instability of self-image, relationships, and mood. Uncertainty about goals, impulsive and activities that are self-damaging, such as casual sex. I mean, what kind of sex isn't casual? They mean promiscuous. I'm not promiscuous. I'm not. We're going out for ice cream in a blizzard because it's Daisy's last day at the hospital. Yeah, they're going to go out and celebrate and they're going out for ice cream in town. They're going to Eccles. (laughs) 
yeah. Eccles Ice Cream Parlor, which sounds like a disease. <laughs> it does. I have Eccles. <laughs> so we get to the ice cream parlor. And they're in line to order. We're misbehaving in the ice cream parlor. <laughs> Lisa's sexually harassing the soda jerk. Yeah, literally with cherry in mouth. <laughs> yeah, she's got it in her mouth and she's twisting it around. Whipped cream, cherries, and uh... nuts. Susanna notices that there's somebody else in the ice cream parlor. It's Mrs. Gilchrist. It's Barbara Gilchrist. (laughs) And Bonnie, or whatever her name is. The wife of the professor she had an affair with. (laughs) She know I fucked her husband. Oh, no. And she's trying to disappear. Yes. She wants the floor to open up and swallow her. And then Daisy's talking to Val when they're all sat down about how she's got this brand new apartment and about how she can't wait for life on the outside. And everybody's just rolling their eyes because everyone knows that Daisy really shouldn't be getting let out. It's making Lisa especially angry. Lisa's just mad that she gets to get out and she doesn't. She's not concerned about Daisy's well-being on the outside. Yeah, no, for sure not. And wouldn't you know it, Mrs. Gilchrist has also laid eyes on Susanna. So Lisa's already pissed and then Barbara decides to waltz in on their conversation. Hello, Susanna. Do you remember me? You must remember me. Yes. Mrs. Gilchrist, hi. Susanna, you okay? I'm I'm fine. You know, I know all about you. And I hope they put you away forever. Is this the professor's wife? What professor? Oh, so you told everybody. Yeah. So then Lisa begins to verbally assault Barbara. She's like, look, she gave your husband a rim job. So what? Like Big fucking deal. <laughs> and then she goes, how dare you? And points in her face. Don't you tell me what to do. Look, she gave your husband a rim job. Big fucking deal. I'm sure he was begging for it. And I heard it was like a pencil anyway. You, how dare you? Hey, some advice. Okay, just don't point your fucking finger at crazy people. <laughs> And then they all start barking like dogs to, like, fuck with her. And this is where Valerie finally intervenes. And so, like, yeah, we're on our way back to the ward, and Valerie's like... Did you enjoy the fresh air, Lisa? Yeah, I did, Val. Thanks. Good, because it's the last time you live in the ward. Is that a dare or a double dare? So we get this montage of life in the hospital over the next few months. Susanna's writing in a journal. She's starting to open up a little more during therapy. Yeah. She's bonding with the other patients and sort of starting to adjust to life inside the ward. Alta Wilco's How Do You Fight Loneliness? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we follow you around. It's how you fight loneliness. Speaking of fighting loneliness, we also see her getting chummy with Johnny. Is that his name? His name's John. John, the orderly. Mm-hmm. MLK is shot. Yeah, lots of things are happening on the outside. MLK, <laughs> Kennedy, all that good stuff. Then one day, out of the clear blue sky, Toby shows up to visit Susanna. And everybody's like, ooh, a boy. <laughs> He's shipping out next week. So, of course, he wants to do it. So, Susanna whisks him away to give him a blowjob in her room. And everybody is literally standing outside the door, listening (laughs) to them get it on. Yeah, Lisa's like, why is everybody gathered around the door? And then... 
here comes Marcy, the nurse. Margie. To- Margie? Yes. I keep calling her Marcy. I don't know why. Margie comes waltzing around doing checks, and in order to prevent her from walking in on the two of them, Lisa gets in front of her in the rolly chair and is like, hey, what's up? How's things doing? How's the wedding coming? <laughs> and she's like, Lisa, I have to do my checks. Yeah, and what? Taking five minutes from me would be a dereliction of duty? Huh? What if I had a punctured artery? What would you do? You just keep going about your rounds, ignore my wounds? Lisa, stop it. Stop what? You fucking peek. Look at this. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's enough. Take one fucking step and I'll jam this in my aorta. Go ahead. Go ahead. Stop it. Lisa, your aorta is in your chest. Good to know. That's the end of that. And so Val goes to the door, opens it up. She's like, take it outside. Catches them mid-ripping off clothes. And it's like, you have grounds, privileges. So Toby leads her out of the ward. Toby starts taking her to the parking lot. And she's like, wait, the cafeteria is this way. Because Toby is all of a sudden suggesting that they run away to Canada together. Well, you know, like a draft dodger. Yeah. You're not crazy. Okay, you don't need to be here. I tried to kill myself, Toby. What? You, you took some aspirin. You... I took a bottle of aspirin. Wait, and that buys you a year in this place? That, Susanna, that, that's bullshit, okay? They're breaking you. I think him visiting her is really a moment where she realizes that she does need to be here. Yeah, she's in a place where she realizes she needs help and she's not going to run away from that. Also, I love how Toby thinks that he knows exactly who she is and what she's about. Like, then they mean she it? doesn't even know. I know. So, I, 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 he he just wants to run away with somebody. Yeah. And he doesn't want to do this by himself. She's like, could never be me. Bye. Yeah. Like, and, seriously. Like, Lisa's watching this happen out the window, and you can tell that she's impressed <laughs> yeah. that Susanna decided to stay. Yeah, because Lisa likes other lifers. And Susanna is slowly becoming Lisa's favorite person. The next thing I have in my notes is, why is this guy changing a light bulb in the middle of the night? Yeah, John's smitten with Susanna, so he's changing probably an undamaged light bulb in the middle of the night <laughs> so he can stare at her while she's sleeping, fucking creep. <laughs> People like that always work on psych wards. I know. They have because they have access to people who are vulnerable. Exactly. Uh, I mean, he that's not his spirit here, but like he legitimately just thinks she's cute. It's not cool that he's hitting on a patient. Yeah. It's just not cool. So Polly has an emotional fit in the middle of the night. I think Toby visiting triggered something in Polly. So in order to cheer Polly up, because yeah, she's crying, because they put her in the padded room, right? Yes. Lisa and Susanna drug Nurse McWillie, <laughs> the Irish nurse like, who doles out the meds. Like you do. Lisa just has a set of keys. How do you think she gets into admin? She just jacked the keys at one point. I don't know how she keeps the keys hidden so well, but because she does. someone didn't want to admit that they lost the keys. In, exactly. In, in a mental ward. And so they just got a new set made and didn't change the locks. So they just have free run of the place. So Lisa and Susanna break into the art room and get a guitar and like like a tambourine and a couple of other things. And they go and they sit outside the chamber and they start serenading Polly. They start singing downtown. The lights are much brighter there. You can forget all your troubles. Forget all your cares and go McWillie is going to wake up. Susanna, give me the guitar. 
John realizes that there's loud music in the hallway. <laughs> How did they not expect to wake everybody up with this noise? How did they not get caught sooner than what they do? <laughs> And so John's like, you're going to wake McWillie up. And they're like, no, we're not. She's under. (laughs) In a complete non sequitur, Susanna pulls him down on top of her and starts making out with him. Yeah. They stay out there all night, right? Yeah, they fall asleep holding each other in the hallway. Val's the first one in the ward in the morning. She's like, what fresh hell is this? You literally like there's a shot down the hall and she's come in. She's in coat, sunglasses. She looks in the nurse's station, sees McWillie out, then looks down the hall and sees the three of them on the floor outside the padded chamber. And I love how Susanna gets up and runs into her room and into her bed like Val didn't just see her. I'm writing you up. I am sick of this bullshit. So... Susanna has to go see Dr. Wick. They really messed up, so now we're off to see the wizard. Yeah. We have Vanessa Redgrave playing Dr. Wick. They're going over her case notes, and Susanna's just like, I don't think you people know what you're doing at all. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a problem coping with this hospital. I want to leave. I can't do that. I signed myself in. I should be able to sign myself out. You signed yourself into our care. We decide when you leave. You're not ready for it, Susanna. Your progress has plateaued. You're not getting as better as you think you are. Susanna says, I'm ambivalent. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We have to have a whole conversation about what the word ambivalence means. And she's like, why do you choose that word? Do you know what that means, ambivalence? I don't care. If it's your favorite word, I would have thought you would. It means I don't care. That's what it means. On the contrary, Susanna. Ambivalence suggests strong feelings. In opposition, the word suggests that you are torn between two opposing courses of action. Stay in Oz or leave Oz? Am I sane or am I crazy? And I think Wick is trying, this is the first time Wick's trying to tell her that you have a choice. You know, she's like, you can indulge in your flaws and stay here forever. Or you can lean into treatment. Yeah. And so Lisa never comes back from Wick's office. They probably moved her to another ward, right? They moved her to the intensive ward. Yeah. Where they are now giving her shock treatments. Because that was another thing that was grossly overused in those days, right? If a pa- Absolutely. If a patient was too, uh, if a patient was hard to control, or if it was just they were out of other options, just give them shock treatment. You see it in Mad Men with Alexis Bedell and her character arc on that story with Pete. So Susanna gets a little down because we don't have Lisa anymore. She becomes depressed. Like, let's say lethargic. She's not moving. She's not bathing. She's in and out of consciousness all the time. Like, she's like on the couch and she just looks like there's nothing in her eyes. And you can hear a guy on the television going, we live in a time of doubt. (laughs) No kidding! The institutions we were once trusted no longer seem reliable. And I'm like, that always hits me. Big mood. (laughs) So this goes on until one day Valerie is fed up. She goes in her room and is like, you need to get up. (laughs) And dumps her in an ice cold bath. Can you imagine being dropped into a tub full of cold ass water like that? That'll wake you up. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck! Sorry, too cold. What the fuck are you doing? Get me the fuck out of this tub! Get yourself out. Where's Lisa? Where the fuck is Lisa? 
What's the matter? Can't hack it without her? You banish her for singing to Polly. We were trying to help her. Susanna's just like, well, then what the fuck is wrong with me? You know, what's going on inside my head? You are not crazy. Then what's wrong with me? Huh? What the fuck is going on inside my head? Tell me, Dr. Val, what's your diagnosis? You are a lazy, self-indulgent little girl who is driving herself crazy. And since Suzanne is mad that Valerie is right, she decides, I'm going to be racist. Is that your own medical opinion? Huh? Is that what you've learned in your advanced studies at night school for Negro welfare mothers? I mean, Melvin doesn't have a clue. Wick is a psycho. And you, you pretend you're a doctor. You sign the charts and you dole out meds. But you ain't no doctor, Miss Valerie. You ain't nothing but a black nurse maid. And you're just throwing it away. I don't know how Valerie didn't drown her in the bath. I would have. I Honestly. I would have. Valerie is the only person here who is really seeing Susanna for who she really is. Exactly. And has valuable insight. Susanna's so much better like, I, than that. Like, I, I lose all sympathy for her at that point. So, it's the middle of the night. Susanna's just trying to sleep. You ever wake up and a sociopath is just standing over you, breathing heavily? No! Lisa is right there when she opens her eyes. Like three inches away from her face. And she looks fucked up. Like her eyes are dead. She's wan. Like it's just bad. And she just goes. You still want to go to Florida? You still want to go go to to Florida? Florida? (laughs) We're running away to Florida to become Disney princesses. I don't know how. I guess probably because she has a key ring. They are getting out of this place. Yeah. Lisa. We need money, don't we? You've been taking your meds at night, right? Yeah, but I only have them. They gave me shocks again. Jamie, I have to get out of here. I'm Susanna. I'm Susanna. My name is Susanna. My name is Susanna. I think Susanna is Lisa's new Jamie. Yeah. (laughs) On the outskirts of the property, we are escaping away from car lights. And we find that Lisa has swiped a telephone bill with Daisy's new address on it. We're going to hitchhike to Daisy's with a group of hippies who could be the Manson family for all we know. Yeah. But this is where we get the random kiss in the van. Yeah, I know. The like one gay moment in the entire film. Yeah. Like it just, here's the thing. It just kind of happens. And then it's never talked about again. Yeah. It's never revisited. She just kind of smooches her. Yeah, because they're smoking dope yeah. with the hippies, and they're singing, I don't know, One Tin Soldier Rides Away or something. And it's just Sit kinda, down, Annie. I don't know how it goes. <laughs> it just kind of happens. This whole sequence is upsetting, so bear with us here. Yeah, trigger warning. It's going to get dark real fast. They find themselves at Daisy's new house. They practically barge into Daisy's. Because they have Valium, and she's going to let them stay the night if they give up the Valium. Yeah. Lisa really doesn't like that Daisy is out, number one. And she doesn't like that she's being taken care of by her father in this fancy apartment. So she's already on Lisa's shit list. Lisa is looking for everything in the apartment she can ridicule. She's looking for evidence of her continued mental health issues. She opens up the fridge and she goes, all you have is mustard and your chicken. 
And Lisa really doesn't like that Daisy is poking holes in this half-assed plan because they have no money or people to rely on in Florida. Yeah. 1960s Florida. So Lisa decides she's going to terrorize Daisy. Daisy holds out her hand for the Valium. She has fresh self-harm scars all up and down her arm. Yeah. What's this? Huh? What's this? Let go. Trying out your new silver? Get the fuck off me. Less appealing for daddy, huh? Lisa! Look at your own arm, asshole. I'm sick, Daisy. We know that. But here you are in so-called recovery, playing Betty Crocker cut up like a goddamn Virginia Lisa, ham. just stop it, okay? Lisa is being so cruel. And I really, I literally cannot empathize with the desire to make another human being hurt that much. But the thing is, Lisa can't empathize yeah, at all. I know. And she the, has no empathy. The crazier part is that Susanna is just sitting there letting it happen. Yeah, Susanna won't stand up to Lisa. Like, the most she can get out is, Lisa, shut up. That's literally all she's going to do. Lisa pulled out everything on Daisy that she could. Her eating disorder, her OCD, her sexual abuse, her self-harm. Like, she just put it all right out there on the table for everyone to pick apart. Tormenting her. And Daisy just goes upstairs. She can't deal with it. The whole night, the whole rest of the night and into the next morning, we don't hear from Daisy. The, the movie puts you through this long sequence where Susanna finally forces herself to go upstairs and talk to Daisy yeah. about what happened the night before. And it's really rough. She finds Daisy in the bathroom hanging from a pipe or something. She hung herself from her shower. Susanna is shaken. Probably never seen a dead person before. Yeah, and... Le and then Lisa decides to go through Daisy's pockets, take her money, and put it in her pocket. Press your buttons. Now you're taking her money. Please, I didn't press shit. She was waiting for an excuse. Come back up. We have to go. All right. Lisa is not a good person. No. A lot of it may not be her fault, but she is not a good person. And I think this is where Susanna comes to detest Lisa. Yeah, I I detest Lisa. I hate Lisa. I and, can't stand her. And Lisa's like, come on, we need to get out of here. Because Susanna wants to wait for EMS. You know, like a good person would mm -hmm. do. There's got to be somebody there to answer for what happened. Melvin shows up to take her back to Claymore. And he lets her bring Ruby, Daisy's cat, with her. When Susanna comes back to the ward, everybody is happy about the new kitty. Oh, Polly's ecstatic. Yeah. She, I, oh, my God. Susanna's in bed one night and Valerie comes in to talk to her. Susanna says, you know, like, I should have done something. I should have gone up and talked to her. And Valerie's like, well, what would you have said to her? Really, what could you have said to her? That I was sorry. That I'll never know what it was like to be her. But I know what it's like. To want to die. How it hurts to smile. How you try to fit in, but you can't. How you hurt yourself on the outside to try to kill the thing on the inside. I feel like her guilt comes from this nucleus of mental health communities where we can't always relate to each other's specific issues, but we understand the stigma. And we understand how suppressive it can be. And we just have to remind ourselves that we have to keep trying. And that's really what Valerie is trying to get her to do. Put it down. Put it away. Put it in your notebook. But get it out of yourself. 
away so you can't curl up with it anymore. I'm so sorry. That was a big thing. Do not drop anchor here. Understand? So we get this whole sequence with Susanna improving tenfold. Without Lisa there as a constant distraction, you know. She's doing a lot of writing in her journal. Yes. And she has sessions with Dr. Wick now. She just goes on and on and on for hours. So we get to a point with Dr. Wick. They're going to discharge Susanna soon. Yeah, she's going to get a job in a bookstore. Like her dad got her a job in a bookstore and she's going to write. I love that for her. I love that as at this juncture in her life, she's really ready to pursue her passion. You know what I mean? After Dr. Wick, we're in the common room and Georgina's having a moment. Oh, yeah. Georgina's watching The Wizard of Oz. And I think this is the first time that Georgina gets to see the movie. Really? Yeah. I I thought she would have seen it a hundred times. No, I think this is the first time she gets to see the movie and she is bawling at the end. They're really slapping us in the face with this Oz allegory here because Susanna's going to get out soon. Yeah. She's going to leave Oz, quote unquote. And this is the scene where she's saying goodbye to everyone. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, what have you learned, Dorothy? Yeah. You know, like... (laughs) What have you learned, Dorothy? That it, that it wasn't enough just to want to see Uncle Henry and Auntie M. Valerie. And it's that if I ever go looking for my heart's desire again, I won't look any further than my own backyard. And like in the middle of all of this, Val gets word that they found Lisa. Lisa's finally recovered. Lisa's been gone for a long time this time. She looks half dead. Lisa has been off meds, out in the real world, homeless, with her condition, doing anything she needs to survive, she looks rough when they bring her back in. She doesn't make a sound. She and Susanna lock eyes, though, and it it gives me chills every time it happens. And they put Lisa in the padded room, and Susanna walks up to that little window and taps on it like, hey, it's been a while. Actually, they're letting me out. That's great. You better go. When Susanna walks away, there's like this apex predator music in the background. Mm -hmm. Like she's a lion waiting to eat her. And what's great about that shot is because she's behind the door, you can only see her eyes in that little window. Yeah. And like that's all you're seeing of her. But you're like, oh, I'm scared. On Susanna's last night in the hospital, she wakes up and finds the cat missing. Also, Georgina is missing from her bed. Yeah. And guess what else is missing? Her journal. Her journal. She walks into the hall. Guess what door is open? The padded room door. Uh Uh-oh. Lisa's not in it. That shot alone gives me chills. I know. I'm just like, oh, God, she's loose. (laughs) She's somewhere out in a boot. She hears Lisa faintly reading her journal aloud somewhere in the bowels of the building. I can honestly say that my misery has been transformed into common unconscious. So by Freud's definition, I have achieved mental health. And my discharge sheet reads, Recover. Recover. Don't do that! They're reading entries 
from her journal aloud to the other patients. Mm -hmm. They're all down in the basement and she finally gets down there and Lisa is like, oh, we're just having a little salon, a little send off for our girl, Susanna. (laughs) I love that she calls it a salon. Yeah, just a little bit of reading, you know, make everybody everybody have an experience. This total invasion of your privacy is a salon. Lisa tells Georgina that Susanna has written in her journal that she never really wants to leave and she only lies to people that keep her there. She starts dishing all the tea that Susanna has recorded about her friends. She's... Georgina gets really mad. Oh, she gets angry. in Susanna's face and goes, My dad is the head of the CIA <laughs> and he could have you dead in minutes. No, Georgina. No, Georgina. No. Your dad is not the head of the CIA. No, honey. <laughs> Lisa tells Polly that Susanna has written in her journal that her politeness is ingenuine because she's only doing it to make it easier for them to look at her. Yeah. And I'm like, These are in your journal. You record private thoughts. Yeah. Private- These are thoughts that. You need to get out, but you know are improper to say in public. Yeah, like, wasn't that what Valerie said? You need to find a way to put it down. Exactly. Get it out of your head. Uh And again, journal, private thoughts. Not something you would tweet necessarily. So nice of you to pass judgment on us now that you're pure. What the fuck are you doing, Lisa? I'm playing the villain, baby. Just like you want. Try to give you everything you want. No, you know. You wanted your file? I found you your file. You wanted out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you some! I'm fucking consistent, I told you the truth, I didn't write it down in a fucking book! I told you to your face! And I told Daisy to her face, what everybody knew and wouldn't say, and she killed herself. And I played the fucking villain, just like you wanted. Lisa really resents when other patients start to get better. Because she's a lifer. Yeah. She she never gets better because she never tries to get better. Well, also, there's no cure for sociopathy. Treatment and medication, those help. In the 1960s, though, they were absolutely inequipped to help her with her personality disorder. Like, it was it was never going to happen. Lisa's like, I'm playing the villain, baby. Just like you want. She's like, why would I want that? She's like, because it makes you the good guy. Yeah. It makes you look innocent. I feel like that's where a lot of the stigma comes from. We make people with mental health issues look bad in our perceptions so that we feel better knowing that we're not them, right? Yeah. Then Susanna notices Lisa's got a needle full of drugs. Oh, yeah. Lisa's got a little cocktail in a syringe that she is going to either use to hurt somebody or herself. Susanna runs away. It's now a chase scene. Susanna gets lost in the basement, and Lisa comes running after her, talking about how she's free and Susanna's not really free. Why, you don't like me anymore? No, I don't! Is you're free? think you're free? I'm free! You don't know what freedom is! And then Susanna finally runs into a dead end. Tries to get out through that door and it's all chained up and she turns around to face Lisa. Why am I so neglected? Why doesn't anybody reach in and rip out the truth and tell me that I'm a fucking whore whether my parents wish I were dead? Because you're dead already, Lisa! No one cares if you die. Because you're dead already. It's such an incredibly visceral performance. Yeah. You get lost in her emotion. Angelina Jolie does a fantastic job. She deserved this Oscar. She really did. And like, we're actually seeing tears from Lisa. This is the first human moment from Lisa. It's it's very, very close to the end. And, and we're just now getting human. It's very, very hard to watch. That's why you keep coming back here. You're not free. You need this place. You need it to feel alive. It's pathetic. 
almost puts that needle in her arm. Yeah, she drops to her knees and starts howling and she looks at that needle and you're like, oh no, don't please don't do this. Yeah. Georgina convinces her not to. Now we're back to the beginning. That's where the movie actually starts, right? Yeah. Is at the end of this scene. Yeah. Like, I was so nervous leading up to this because I couldn't remember how this movie ended. Yeah. I didn't know if there was going to be some horrible violence that befell them all at Lisa's hand or what was going to happen. But literally, all that happens is the orderlies just come down there and find them in the morning. And everybody gets taken back to where they belong, except for Lisa. Lisa needs some special attention because she attacked everyone. Mm -hmm. So Val, the next day, allows Susanna to visit Lisa in custody. She's been strapped down. Yeah. And because, to prevent her from hurting herself and others. Yeah. Janet swipes uh, some fancy nail polish from the men's ward so that Susanna can go in and put it on Lisa. And she goes in, sits down with Lisa, starts painting her nails, and Lisa goes, I'm going to miss you, Susie Q. No, you're not. You're going to get out of here, and you're going to come and see me. Okay? <sighs> Susanna has hope for everybody that's yeah. in there. And she's just like, you're going to get out, and you're going to come and see me. And you just see one tear roll down Lisa's eye, and she's looking out the window like, huh, yeah, right. I just love that even after... Lisa treated them so terribly, treated Susanna so terribly, that Susanna still had that room for compassion. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the mentally ill deserve that level of human compassion from other people. So it's goodbye time. Yeah, we're saying goodbye to the scarecrow and the tin man yeah. and the cowardly lion. Yes. She hugs everybody and then she lets Polly keep Ruby. Yeah, she lets Polly keep the kitty. She's so ecstatic. Yeah. I love she's it. She's like, I'll come and see the kitty when I come for my therapy. She's hugging Valerie goodbye. And Valerie, I think, is the scarecrow in this allegory. I don't know. <laughs> she's like, I'll miss you most of all. Yeah. Valerie's like, think about me when you're shaving your legs. <laughs> I love it. Can someone explain to me the statistical likelihood of it being the same cab driver? We have a more put together Monty Hoover. <laughs> yeah. The guy that brought her to Claymore is now taking her back home. And of course he remembers who she is. And then we get Susanna in voiceover and she's like, Declared healthy and sent back into the world. My final diagnosis, a recovered borderline. What that means, I still don't know. Was I ever crazy? Maybe. Or maybe life is. And we learned that by the 70s, most of these ladies were out of treatment. Mm -hmm. And some of them she saw, some of them she didn't. In the book, there's this thing about how in the, she says that she saw Lisa again in the early 70s. And she had a little boy. Oh, in the book. In the book. In the movie, they're not specific about yeah, it. Yeah, in the book, they we don't know what happens to anybody afterwards. But she says that she encounters Lisa in a subway. Wow. In the early 70s. And Lisa has a little boy. Aw. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I'm glad that we have that piece of information. It's a nice thought to think that she was in a stable enough place following that to have a child. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy for her. And by the 70s. Most of them were out, living lives. Some I've seen, some never again. But there isn't a day my heart doesn't find them. 
Whew. I get big feels from this movie. I do too. This was a rough one. And I think it's because, you know, you and I have never had to deal with, you know, this kind of stuff. Not institutionally. We mm. haven't had to deal with this kind of stuff. No, 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 no. But we can empathize with a lot of the emotions here. Exactly. And you never think that you're going to get to a place that's, you know, you never think you're going to get to that dark place. But sometimes you do. I think this film is really helpful in letting people process that at the end of the day, when it comes right down to it, you do have choices yeah. in how the rest of your life is going to pan out. It is a conscious choice you have to make every day. Yeah, our disorders and our, you know, isms, they're not our fault, but we have to make the choice to get better. Because life's too short. Yeah, life's too short for it to consume your life so badly. There are treatment options out there. There is the right meds, the right treatment, the right, whatever your problem is, there is hope and help out there. For any of you that have been in a wellness institution, maybe this movie doesn't even come close. Maybe this movie is extremely apt. I really like the aspect of this film where, you know, people who have mental health issues, we find each other and we bond with each other and we get the feeling that we aren't alone in our respective issues, yeah, right? Yeah. And and then there's and and that's where I think part of the hope comes from is you see other people progress, maybe you start to believe that you can also be better. This movie also highlights many instances where Society has just locked women away for being a certain way. Failed them miserably. They are in those facilities for far too long. Yeah, because... And it's because they're being kept there. They're being dumped there by because, families that don't want to deal with problems. And psychiatrists, I feel like they're almost prolonging their stay. Yeah. They're not providing them with the correct tools to get better. We didn't know anything in the 60s. Yeah. We didn't. We weren't putting the right resources towards the right scientific queries. And the fact that, you know, Cynthia was only in there because she was gay. I know. And just, she was perfectly fine otherwise. She was a little, you know, nutty, but, you know. You know, that's another one of those things where it's like, don't get me started on the treatment of the homosexuals in mental health facilities. Yeah. One of those things that we don't have time to talk about. But yeah, it's just... It's a great movie. It's got the, a great voice behind it. Mm -hmm. Some electrifying performances. It makes you really sit back and appreciate what some people do have to go through. Yeah. Because your life could be hunky-dory. You might not have a care in the world. You might not be unhappy or disadvantaged in any way. But there are people out there who are. They deserve our compassion. They're being seen here. Yeah, <laughs> we see you. We, we care about you. We're going to vote for people who will take care of you. Yes. It's important to talk about. Well, folks, that's it. It was a whopper. Yeah, I know. And if and if you listen to that whole thing and you just feel depressed now, I'm sorry. I think it's good to have a conversation about mental health and stigma. Especially women. Especially in women in mental health and stigma. Mm -hmm. Women are treated a lot differently than men in mental health, and it's always been that way. So I like a depiction of that kind of story with female voices. Absolutely. And by the way, guys, we want to say before we close out the show, if you are struggling, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's 1-800-273-8255. Yeah, guys, never, never think that anything's too late or too far from reach. There is help out there. 
I'm tired of being sad. Let's wrap this up. All right. Cue the drums. Are you ready to wrap up Women's Month? I mean, I'm not ready because I have You're right. I said that very, like, <laughs> are you ready to get this over with? That's not how I feel. No, 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 no. We empower women here at Kicking and Streaming. <laughs> Fictional women and real women. Absolutely. But I've enjoyed our month of female-centric stories. I have, but we have one more to go. Yes, we do. <laughs> we are going to do the 2006 Gender Bender, She's the Man. <laughs> I am so excited. Because yeah, I know why you're excited. We're going to talk about how Amanda Bynes needs some help. She, uh, listen, Amanda Bynes is not well. We're going to try and be kind. And we're going to focus on a better day <laughs> yeah. in Amanda Bynes' life. Is, I'm very, very excited to do this movie. Is it's, this the one Channing Tatum is in? Yes, I'm very excited. Yes. yes. Can this be the only Channing Tatum film we ever do? <laughs> Maybe for a long time, yes. Yes. This is like one of the first things he was in. I so know. Like, while you're waiting for that episode, you can go follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. And you can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And you can also listen to us on Spotify now, guys. Guys, put us on your lists. And if you don't listen with Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can always go to our Podbean page and get our custom RSS link. You can put that in your podcast player of choice and enjoy us from wherever you want to listen. Be on the lookout on all of our platforms. We have quality bonus content as well. You should listen to our bonus episodes. We quite enjoy them. We do movie trivia and little history lessons. Ross loves to give history lessons. Thank you. (laughs) I love your little history lessons. Thank you. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we also tell dumb stories about our lives and you know make random references more quality content coming to you from kicking and streaming until then i'm carrie i'm ross and as always thank thank you mom Mom.